Welcome to episode one of Packers Unfiltered. My name is Ryan. I'm here with my co-host Riley. Uh, and today we have our first special guest, uh, a beat reporter for PackersReport.com. It's Zach Jacobson. Zach, thanks for joining the show with us, man. Ryan, Riley, thank you both. Also, your name, you have a full name, Ryan. You got to tell the people your full name. They don't need to know my full name, man. We'll disclose that another time. They do need to know your full name because you're important and you shouldn't be selling yourself short like that. And Riley needs to tell people the full, his full name too, but he's also a very important part of this show. Uh, but anyways, yeah, no, thank you guys for, uh, thank you guys for having me here. You know, this is cool. Cool to be on the inaugural episode of Packers Unscripted. Yeah, we appreciate it, man. A little backstory. We're, uh, we're all actually in a, a group chat, a Packers group chat. So we've known each other for a couple of years and, Zach was cool enough to hop on us or hop on here with us. So, um, Zach, I just wanted to start off asking you a little bit about the Vikings game on Sunday. Um, a difficult loss for the Packers, obviously disappointing. I don't think any of us expected them to lose going into that game. Um, I wanted to ask you specifically about some issues with the run defense and if that's something that you think they can improve in-house with the players that they have over time or do you think that that's just kind of a weak spot and that's just going to be the way it is for the rest of the season i think at this point i mean just looking at how they've been for the last year and you saw them really kind of well you saw them really get exposed in january i mean this is the unit they have now the unit they are now this is this is what they are I mean, we're kind of we're finally seeing them kind of like reap the rewards of Montrevis Adams. You know, now he's in his fourth season, and they're finally seeing him be something special. Who, by the way, played six snaps on Sunday, and Dean Lowry played the second most snaps on their defensive line behind Kenny Clark, which is still uh, mystifying to me. I don't understand that, but regardless, if they are going to get any kind of improvements, that's that's something that has to change. That that has nothing to do with you know scheme concepts or anything that Mike Pettin rolls out. Because I, I, I know everybody wants to dunk on Mike Pettin. They want to slap him upside his bald head and everything. Like I, I, I totally get it. But there's only so much he could do when he has certain guys out on the field and guys that are limited. And Dean Lowry is one of those limited guys. He shouldn't be on the field. You know, he played like 71% of the snaps, I think, on Sunday. And when you have him out there, that you know he's he's a liability. You know, you have guys like Montrevis Adams and guys like Kingsley, uh, Kingsley Kiki who have shown you a ton this season, who, albeit a little bit inconsistent, you know, they haven't been able to, you know, string that success week to week. But for a majority of the time, they've done a very good job for the run defense as a whole. Like up until Sunday when they went up against Dalvin Cook, you really didn't have many complaints about, about the run defense. You know, you, it was kind of an afterthought. It was like that unit that got exposed against Raheem Moster uh, several months ago. They didn't seem as prone to getting run all over. So if they're going to get any kind of uh, any kind of production from the guys that they have, because we know they didn't make any moves at the trade deadline, obviously. So if they're going to get any kind of production, any improvement from within, then they got to get jumps from guys like Adams, like Kinky. And that starts from getting them on the field. Yeah, um, and I think another big thing is we look at Kamal Martin. Kamal Martin was finally starting to look like a good player, a type of linebacker that the Packers haven't had since the days of 
AJ Hawk, Nick Barnett, even Clay Matthews playing middle linebacker. Um, and we got what a game and a half out of him, and now he's on the COVID list. You know, he won't play this Sunday or this Thursday. He might not play next Sunday. We just don't know. Right. And see, is that's that, another thing too. I'm glad. Sorry, what was that? No, go ahead. Well, Riley brought up a good point about the linebackers. You know, they they have Kamal Martin and Chris Barnes. They've been getting for the first time in a long time. They've been getting uh, formidable production from that second level from their linebackers. You know, they they had someone like Blake Martinez, who you know, someone else who I know oh, was boy. was a big. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I mean, I know he was a big scapegoat too because you know he made the tackles four yards past the line of scrimmage and this and that and all that all that bullshit, but. The reality is he did make some tackles at the line of scrimmage. He was occasionally crashing down. He lowered his shoulders. He, he did all the things you want your middle linebacker to do, but he wasn't doing it on a consistent basis. He wasn't doing it on the consistent basis that you want your starting middle linebacker to do. You need him to get gritty. You need him to get scrappy. You need him to be violent. You know, you need him to set the tone for your entire defense. When he's when that guy at the heart of your defense is going to wear that green dot on his, on his stupid helmet and he's going to handle communication for the rest of your defense – you need him to be able to rise to the occasion and kind of ignite that entire group. And I think the Packers, they're going to hit on either one of Chris Barnes and Kamal Martin. And if, if, you know, if, if it's not both, it's going to be one of them. And that alone is going to make a big different, uh, big difference, difference. I can't talk big difference in this run defense. It's interesting that you brought up Blake Martinez. Um, you know, I think that's a good point. I think, Packers fans in general got a little fed up with Blake Martinez, especially towards the end of his tenure with the Packers. But, you know, I think it's overlooked that he, he was a good, a solid contributing player. It's just that he was limited in what he's able to do. And, you know, the Packers have struggled over the years finding versatile linebackers that can handle both run duties as well as coverage duties. So I think that I th that was a lot of the reason that people were so frustrated with Martinez, but, uh, to transition back to Mike Penn a little bit, I wanted to ask you as well, Zach, um, you know, I know myself and I know Riley definitely, and most Packers fans are fed up with Mike Penn. Um, we see the same things over and over with the way that the Packers play mm -hmm. soft coverage and they play, you know, 10 yards off when it's third down and three and things of that nature. But I wanted to ask you, is too much of the blame being directed towards Mike Penn right now with some of the tackling issues we've seen. I mean, in my opinion, there are certain things that at the NFL level, these players should already be ready. They should already be good at that sort of thing. They should be able to make a good fundamental tackle. So I was interested in your thoughts about that. You know, so, some of the things that I've noticed is there, there are teams around the league that I can't name off the top of my head right now, but there are teams that are doing more with less talent. The Packers right now, they have talent defensively. You know, you got you got a good safety group. You got a good room of corners when when Kevin King's healthy, which you know, I'm not going to get into, but and you got one of the best nose tackles in football, if not the best. There's no reason that this unit should struggle as much as they do and why they shouldn't be able to to generate turnovers. Why their pass rush has just fallen off so dramatically. I think it falls on I would call it maybe 70-30 on 70 being on the coaching and 30 being on the personnel. They need some help on the defensive line. And right right now, that 
middle linebacker spot, it's still it's still a little iffy. As, as psyched I am about uh, um, Chris Barnes and Kamal Martin, you know that group right there, and that's not even that's not even including uh, Christian Kirksey. But you're seeing their safety struggle right now between Adrian Hamilton and Darnell Savage. You're seeing them struggle because the pass rush the pass rush isn't doing anything. So when your pass rush isn't getting home, your whole secondary is going to fall apart. It's going to make their job that much more harder. So everything's kind of working in unison right now, and it's making Mike Pettin's unit as a whole just look that much worse. And of course, that's gonna that's gonna reflect negatively on him. Now, and, oh, sorry, go no, ahead. No, go ahead, go ahead. So I was what I was gonna add there was um, the fact that you see a lot of the national media has talked about oh the linebacker group isn't great, and like you said, it's it's a young group, it's got potential, it's not totally there yet. But I think that they they missed the point that. You're right. The, what you mentioned earlier with the defensive line, um, Dean Lowry is horrible. I still maintain I will fight him for that $24 million contract. Montrevious Adams is finally looking like a good player. Tyler Lancaster is, I'm sorry, he's just not good enough. Um, that is where this defense is failing, in my opinion. And again, I've been more critical of Mike Pettin than I think anyone I know. And I'm not trying to defend him here. But you're right. It's not totally on him a lot of there's a lot of lack of effort and i think that especially with the safety group we've pointed out that they've been bad the safety group works in tandem um if one's playing bad the other one isn't usually going to play very well um i think adrian amos right now um he's a veteran he's not a bad player he wouldn't suddenly just digress as much as he has at the age that he's at um if it wasn't i think darnell savage is developing slower and so that's hurt Amos because I feel like he might almost be overcompensating on some of these tackles where he's overpursued trying to make these plays. No, you're no, I, I I agree, and you're right. The thing is with Savage, he was good last year as a rookie, which was kind of unexpected. I thought it would take a little while for him. Um, I feel like if they played him out of that safety spot and moved him into the box, because he's look. When they drafted him, I wanted him to be that field-tilting safety that Nick Collins was. I wanted him to be able to shut down half of the field, but that's just not he. That's not what he is. He wasn't like that coming out of Maryland. So I feel like you take that type of player that he is, play him down in the box where he can stick his nose in the traffic and play against the run, I think that, that helps your run game. You know, that, that helps your middle linebackers. It helps your defensive line. It helps funnel things kind of uh, underneath towards the trenches. Everything starts up front. So if you take a good player like him, an instinctive tackler, who admittedly this season hasn't been that same instinctive tackler that he was a year ago or in college, if you take him, put him in the heart of your defense at that second level, then I think, I just think that that does wonders for for that entire group up there. I'm glad you guys brought up the, um, well, Riley, I'm glad that you brought up how, you know, we've seen, Amos and Savage be disappointing this year. And I think it's interesting. There's been a number of players on the Packers defense that were really promising last season, uh, namely Preston Smith, who I think has probably been the biggest disappointment on the entire team coming off a season in which he, I believe he had double digit sacks. And we saw in the playoff game against Seattle, he had a big impact, especially down the stretch. And he's really just been a ghost this season. So I'm wondering, uh, both of you, do you think that, you know, the regression for some of these guys from Preston Smith, from 
Adrian Amos from Darnell Savage and maybe the lack of progression from Rashawn Gary, at least to the level that we would hope for. Do you think that's more about the coaching and more of an indictment on Mike Pettin? You want to, you want to leave that one off, Riley? Uh, I guess. Um, I, I think with Preston Smith, it's a two-faced issue. Um, he hasn't looked in the same shape that he was last year all season. I, I, I'm going to point out, I saw him playing left cornerback on one play. Why? That should never happen. Um, <laughs> it, it just makes no sense. I don't know. You know, you can say, oh, well, it's the scheme of illusion. But what illusion? If I'm Kirk Cousins, I'm throwing at him no matter what. Um, and so in that case, it's, I think it's a multifaceted of the effort level isn't there. But I think that we need to start scheming him so he can just rush the passer if I'm Mike Pettin, not trying to drop him back into all these coverages all the time, make him do all these different things. Let him focus on what he got paid $52 million to do. So the thing about that play that you that you referenced, the Vikings, they took Kyle Rudolph and they motioned him towards the towards the perimeter. And since that was Preston Smith's assignment, he followed Rudolph towards the boundary. But even still in that case... This this is what this is what the defense looked like. This is what the Packers looked like in the in that instance. They had Josh Jackson in the slot on Adam Thielen, and they had two safeties deep. They had Savage and Amos. If something like that happens to you, your defense should be prepared for that kind of mismatch. Like this is this is what teams like the Packers do offensively. They they scheme their players out of out of position. They they move them around with the pre snap motion. They put them in positions, you know, to create mismatches, to create success, you know, to, to get get guys isolated. You know, they do it with Devontae Adams every single week. That's what the Vikings did with Kyle Rudolph. Granted it was only a it was only a run with Alexander Madison for like three yards, but still it was that pre snap motion to create a mismatch in the Vikings' favor. Now, what the Packers should have done, anything but Preston Smith lined up at left cornerback. Honestly, because that was that was just one of the craziest – can I say the F word? Can I say the F yeah. word? Yeah. Yeah, go for it. Oh, yeah, that was the craziest fucking things I've ever seen in my life. I mean, you could have taken – kept Preston Smith on the edge. taken You could have taken Josh Jackson, put him on the perimeter, line him up across from, from Kyle Rudolph, and then taken Darnell Savage, brought him down into the slot across from Thielen. Where Darnell Savage played in the slot, he played hundreds of snaps in the slot last year, and he was actually one of the top three slot corners on uh, uh, one of the top three slot defenders on the team last year. It's just like this is just one example, but it's a testament to how unprepared this unit is, and I think that's that's a reflection of the coaching. Like I'm not I'm not gonna come on here and shit all over Mike Pettin and everything, but still, this unit should be better prepared to handle something like that. This defense, as talented as it is. They should they shouldn't be caught with their with their pants down like that. That's just that's just the reality of the situation. You shouldn't be lining your 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 starting pass rusher, your edge rusher, on the perimeter across from Kyle Rudolph. I don't care what the assignment was. You you when you get caught in a mismatch like that, you adjust on the fly. That's just that's what you need to do. I think that's a fair point, and I'm I'm glad that you kind of said that. You know, it, it's both on the players, the personnel, and the coaching staff. So while you know. It's easy to point the finger at Mike Pettin, and clearly he's um, putting these players in poor positions to succeed a lot of the times. You know, it, it also is a indictment on the personnel that they have potentially. 
although I do agree that they should be better as a unit. So that actually uh, kind of brings me to the next transition. I wanted before to before we do that. Bit. Sorry for interrupting. Oh, before do we no. that we do that? Could I um add one more one more point here? Um, I th- we touched about this earlier, and that's Blake Martinez. Um, when it comes to adjusting on the fly, Blake Martinez was definitely the most cerebral player on the defense. We now have two rookies as our middle linebackers. Um, and I don't necessarily have anything against, I believe Amos is running the defense now, um, with a headset, but I think that there was something that Blake Martinez added there, you know, for as much as he was limited in coverage, he was a solid run defender, but I think his most valuable attribute was his intelligence. He was such an intelligent middle linebacker that I think maybe last year they were picking up on some of these things, you know, the adjustments, all the motion that they aren't picking up on this year. And that might be an indictment, not on Mike Patton. Maybe he needs to communicate better, but they had such a great on-field communication with Blake Martinez that they don't have now. No, and that's, that's, that's actually a good point. Um, the Packers had the communications helmet, uh, bouncing down or bouncing around earlier this season. I know Christian Kirksey had it. Then uh, when he went down in New Orleans, it went it went to Ty Summers. Then from Ty Summers, I believe it went to Chris Barnes. I'm not totally sure, but typically it would go to their starting middle linebacker. So it's either one of Chris Barnes or, or, or Kamal Martin right now. But either way, that's that's probably a good point. They're, they're likely still in that, that acclimation period where they're still trying to find that guy that can really commandeer their, their whole defense, you know, like like their voice pretty much. Because, you know, Jair Alexander, he's he's the voice of the defense. He's their mouthpiece. He's their talker. He's their, you know, he's their freaking mouth. But – being able to flap your gums is one thing, and being able to handle schematic communications and being able to make sure all of your all of the guys in your defense are in the right spots at the right time and handling their assignments is completely different. Well, as much as I'd like to spend the entire episode uh, dumping on Mike Patton and his incompetence, at least in my eyes, uh, mm-hmm. I want to transition a little bit to the trade deadline uh, that ended on Tuesday. And, uh, Zach, you know, I think Packers fans, uh, like Riley and myself, were disappointed for them not to make a trade. Um, There was a lot of rumors specifically about Will Fuller from the Texans, and I think that, you know, the more and more that was reported, it got the hopes up of a lot of fans. Um, So I wanted to ask if you were surprised that the team decided to stand pat and not add any additional help. Yeah, you guys – yeah, you guys tore the the group chat down that day. I mean, <laughs> true that. Eh, I mean, you could argue we're the two most negative people in there, honestly. Uh, Jacob exists, but okay. Oh, fair. <laughs> Brooks doesn't really talk, but he exists too. No, yeah, well, it's election season. You can't. Yeah, he's fair. <laughs> he's knocking on people's houses. You know, wearing his MAGA hat. Talking about anyway. uh, Speaker Voss. <laughs> No, you know, I'm not necessarily surprised. Um, a part of me was just like, you know, the, the fan in me was obviously disappointed. From the business perspective, I understand why they didn't. I mean, you, you, the, I get why the Texans didn't want to take on the whole financial side of the deal and, and you know, hand off one of their best wide receivers. Then the Packers would be getting an eight-game rental out of out of the guy. Um, Eleven game. 
Yeah, you know, this is the second time you said that, Riley. This is the yeah. second time you said it would be an 11-game uh, rental. But do you do you honestly believe that? Do you actually no. believe this team is going to the Super no, Bowl? No, 10-game rental. Yeah. Catch one pass in the NFC Championship game. <laughs> this kid, I swear to God. But, but yeah, no, I, I get it. It's just... Every single year, you know, it's it's the Emmanuel Sanders and the Robbie Anderson, and now it's the Will Fuller thing. And apparently, Adam Schefter said that the Packers did inquire a little bit about Antonio Brown. So it's like, you know, you know that, you know that they know that there's a need for a wide receiver on their team, but they're not gonna they're not gonna go out of their way and overpay for somebody or give up just extensive draft capital for somebody. You know, they're gonna. They're going to hang on to what they have, especially knowing the kind of success with second round picks that they've had. You know, Kevin Kevin King is, you know, he turned out pretty good. Elton Jenkins, Devontae Adams, you know, in the years before that, that I can't think about the top of my head right now. Uh, all those wide receivers. Rollins. Yeah, well, that's a whole different story. But anyways, uh, yeah, it's it's just, I understand it. I wish they would just take the chance. And just say, you know what? Let's just do it. Let's get our let's get our our guy. Let's get our quarterback a weapon. Because I know I know it doesn't impact their defensive line. It's not a defensive acquisition. But when you get an offensive weapon like Will Fuller, or you stock up offensively, that does help your defense. It creates shorter possessions. It makes you know when when the other team falls behind, they're less likely to run the ball and stress your run defense. Your your very very shitty run defense. You know there there's there's multiple things that multiple variable uh, variables that need to be considered. You know and they just I don't know they just didn't do it. It's probably a good thing that Alan La- uh, Lazard is coming back soon. Oh, they absolutely need him if this team has any hopes of getting to where they want to go. But um. You know, I, I agree. I think that the fans, you know, reacting as a fan is a little bit different. And obviously, you know, you always want to see some big splashy move made. You know, it's exciting. It's fun. But, you know, the GM doesn't think the way that a fan does. And obviously, draft capital is very important to teams, especially the Packers, who live and die by it, the draft and develop philosophy. Uh, at the same time, you know, my uh, – the reason I was so upset about it was that, you know, if you don't want to give up a second round pick for Will Fuller, that's understandable. He's an often injured player, only has half a year left on his contract. That's fair enough. But to me, why aren't you making calls to other teams, which, you know, maybe they did, but there's, you know, other teams with a surplus of receivers that are bad tanking teams. You know, Dallas has, three, four good receivers. Jacksonville has three, four, five good receivers. So it, it's just, to me, from an outside perspective, they had an opportunity to at least call around and gauge the price on some guys. But, you know, what do you think, Riley? And, I mean, perfectly to your point, even Houston has two, three more really talented wide receivers. You could have brought back Randall Cobb, who I know that would have divided Packers' Twitter. But let's be honest, it's something where it would have made the most sense out of anyone on that team, honestly, even more than Will Fuller. Why? Because Aaron Rodgers already has that repertoire with Randall Cobb. It might take a game to get it back, but it wouldn't take three, four, five games like it might with a Will Fuller or a Kenny Stills. And Randall Cobb would have costed maybe a fifth, sixth-round pick. When was the last time you had a good sixth-round pick? I think, Zach, you tweeted, what was it, 2010? 
Uh, yeah, uh, James Starks. It's just, it's a matter of, you just, you didn't do anything. And again, you know, we've become used to it. We, we had all these hopes last year. They didn't happen. You know, the draft, it didn't happen. We should have known that they weren't going to get a wide receiver. We should have known that they probably weren't going to do anything on defense. But it's just a matter of, you see all these other NFC teams improving. Tampa Bay traded for Steve McClendon, and all I saw on Twitter was about how much of a monster he was in his first game. Now you have Antonio Brown back. Um, the Saints traded for Quan Alexander, and that'll segment perfectly into talking about tomorrow's game. But you look at all this, and the Packers did nothing. They fell behind their other NFC Tenders. Even I believe Seattle made a move. I can't remember for the life of me who Carlos it was. Dunlap. Carlos Dunlap. That's yeah. right. Yeah. You know, that leads me to another question. And I don't like going down this rabbit hole that much. I think it's a talking point for the national media, and I don't think it's necessarily fair and pre- uh, provides all of the context. But you know, you see the question a lot, and especially, um, you know, when the Packers don't really make any moves in free agency or they don't make any trades, you see a lot of the national media talking heads talking about that the organization continues to fail Aaron Rodgers and, you know, they don't put the necessary weapons and necessary talent around him. So, uh, Zach, do you think that it's fair for Packers fans to be calling out the organization as a whole? Uh, saying that, you know, Aaron Rodgers deserves better because not to go off on a tangent, but you look in Tampa Bay, like Riley said, and they sign Antonio Brown, they bring back Rob Gronkowski. And it seems like, you know, whatever Tom Brady asks of them, they're, they're willing to accommodate him. So do you think it's fair for fans to be frustrated at the, you know, the lack of moves, I guess, on the Packers and yeah, of course. I mean, Aaron Rodgers is better than Tom Brady. Back. He should be able, you know, and he always has been. He's probably the most talented passer ever. He should be able to snap his fingers and get whoever the hell he wants. He should be able to tell the front office, that, "Hey, I want to keep Jordy Nelson," or "Hey, at least, at least let me fucking keep Jake Kumaro. Can I please at least?" <laughs> Have Jake Kumaro, please. I'm begging Touchdown, you. Touchdown, Jesus. Let's go. No, no, screw him. I, I hate. I hate the whole cult that surrounds him. But I mean, to my point, though. <sighs> Me too. To my point, he just. It's like they they just they shrug it off. They just they they don't care. I mean, it's not that they don't care. It's just they don't prioritize his wants. And, and and they should, but at the same time, he's just he's their starting quarterback. He is maybe responsible for their relevancy the last twelve years, but I'm still I'm still a firm believer in the fact that your quarterback shouldn't factor in into any GM decisions or roster decisions or anything like that. But I do think his input should be should be considered. You know, especially when you have someone like Tom Brady out there who literally he can he can ask for a, a gold toilet to shit in and they'll they'll bring it to him on a silver platter <laughs> and any any anything he wants and, and he gets it. You know, so yeah, I think I think Aaron Rodgers has done enough 
in his career to this point to at least warrant that. To at least keep Jake Kumaro. At least. <laughs> Jake Kumaro. God. Yeah. It's... Um, oh, go ahead, Ryan. Yeah, no, like, I, I was going to bring up this point. You look at quarterbacks around the league. Um, Do you think Drew Brees said, hey, maybe we need someone opposite Michael Thomas? Emmanuel Sanders becomes a saint. Even look in the draft, do you think Dak Prescott, even with Michael Gallup and Amari Cooper, maybe he said, hey, I feel like I need one more elite wide receiver going forward, and they got C.D. Lamb. They didn't need C.D. Lamb at all. They needed a safety. But they, they picked C.D. Lamb anyways. Yeah, you might have argued he's the best player there. But you look at all the other elite quarterbacks, because yes, Dak is an elite quarterback, and that, that's a take that I think maybe a lot of people won't agree with, but it's true at this point. Um, yeah, you look around the league, all of these other elite quarterbacks, they want another weapon. Maybe, you know, Matt Ryan said, hey, we missed that great rushing attack that we had when we went to the Super Bowl with Devonta Freeman. Now they have Todd Gurley. The Falcons are horrible. They have Todd Gurley. I think Riley cut out a little bit. Uh, yeah, I, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, I did. No, you're think- all right. I think there's there's this perception in the organization that hey, we have Aaron Rodgers. Nothing we nothing we don't need to get him receivers. He's Aaron Rodgers, he's the most talented arm ever. We can roll out Marquez Valdez Scantling and Malik Taylor and Darius Shepard, and he'll figure out a way to work with it. And Matt LaFleur, he'll scheme the guys up, he'll get them open. You know, he's he's a he's a smart, smart guy. And that's that's that. We don't need that, we don't need to spend premium draft picks or spend that extra money to bring in some game-changing receiver because we have Aaron Rodgers. That's that's it. I feel like that's what the perception is over there. Yeah, it's definitely, from an outside perspective, it's, it's frustrating. And, you know, obviously there's a lot of this season left. The Packers have a very good team, and, you know, we don't know how things will play out. And Aaron Rodgers has... I believe two more years left on his contract after this. So, you know, there's still time, but if the Packers don't win another Super Bowl uh, in his tenure, I think that would be looked at really in football history as, as just a failure of the organization to provide him with enough talent to, uh, you know, win more than just one ring. Um, if you guys don't have anything else to add, I want to talk a little bit about the Packers and 49ers game tomorrow. Um you know, I think after the game on Sunday, a lot of fans were worried that, you know, we're going back to San Francisco. This is a team that crushed the Packers twice last year, is, you know, fast and has playmakers all over the field and just a team that is a poor matchup for the Packers. But, you know, we see through injuries and, you know, COVID and all of these different things, the 49ers are just decimated. I mean, you go down their injury report and – their their practice squad is basically going to be on the field Thursday night. So do you guys think that if the Packers win, even in a uh, convincing fashion, that it's really going to tell us a lot about the team? Riley? Um, I uh, don't think it's going to oh, – am I, am I here? Yeah. Yeah, you're good. All right. <laughs> I don't think it's going to tell you a lot about – defense i think that either way the defense is what it is um you know it, they're playing I, 
Nick Mullins at quarterback, Jamichael Hasty and Jarek McKinnon, who's not the player that he once was at running back, Trent Taylor, maybe Richie James, um, and then the rest of their players, Kevin Kevin White, that big draft bust from the Bears a few years ago, uh, Chris Finke and River Craycraft from the practice squad. I don't know who they are. Um, Ross Dwelly starting at tight end. Um, Trent Rid- Trent Williams is out. Maybe they move Mitch McGlinky, uh, I think his name is, to left tackle, but then who do you start at right tackle? The defense should be able to hold them under 21 points. If the defense doesn't do that, it's a failure on their part, honestly. See, I kind of disagree. Just you got to consider who is over there on the sideline. It's still Kyle Shanahan. Sure. And sure. He, still, he still owns shares in the Packers pretty much. He still <laughs> he still lives in Mike Pettin's head. I mean, thank, thank God for Mike Pettin. He doesn't have to worry about Raheem Mostert tomorrow. He doesn't have to worry about, or I shouldn't say tomorrow, because the hell, whenever the hell people listen to this. Um, he doesn't have to worry about Raheem Mostert. And like you said, he only has to worry about really Jermichael J- Hasty. Um, Jared, Jared McKinnon, he's going to be on Nick Mullins, who I'm actually a fan of. I actually like Nick Mullins. Um, basically, what the 49ers are rolling out is a preseason offense, and the Packers have the luxury of rolling out their starters. It's it's a starting defense up against a preseason offense. Now, yeah, the Packers should throttle this team. They should. But the thing is with Kyle Shanahan is he's he's a really fucking good football coach. So he could take any of the guys that they have and scheme them into positions where they can find success. That that's that's his bread and butter. That's his philosophy. So I don't care who they have lining up out there. I think this is still a good 49ers team, and especially defensively. They still have Fred Warner at middle linebacker. They still have Arik Armstead on the defensive line of Javon Kinlaw. They still have Jason Verrett at corner, who is actually having a really good comeback season, and I and I don't think really should should be overlooked. This is a defense that could still give Aaron Rodgers problems. It's not the same unit that he saw in January or in the prior November. No, it, it, it's not the same unit at all. But it's still a very good squad, and I think that it's 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 a team that could still keep it pretty close with the Packers. I mean, everyone's looking at this game and they're looking at all the 49ers injuries and everything, and you know they're thinking it's going to be a layup, and I just I just don't see it. And especially knowing with the Packers, I mean, they have demons to exercise on the West Coast. You know, they went to L.A. last year and they got they got smacked around by the Chargers. They came back a few weeks later and got smacked around even worse by the 49ers, which I saw with my very own eyes. It was one of the worst experiences of my life. And, <laughs> and then they came back two months later and lost in the title game. You know, got smacked around just as bad. But, um, yeah, this is still it's still a good football team. You know, and they can still give the Packers some problems. I agree, without a doubt. I, I think, uh, you know, it's a good point that you brought up about Kyle Shanahan still being on the sideline. You know, I think there's no doubt at this point that Kyle Shanahan, until, you know, until we see otherwise, is Mike Penn's father. So, you know, hopefully that changes on Thursday night, but we'll see. Um, and I think, you know, the 49ers offense obviously is, is very shorthanded, but like Zach said, there is a lot of good players on their defense. Their defense is well coached. They've seen the Packers, you know, twice last year. So familiar with the scheme, obviously Matt LaFleur and Kyle Shanahan do run similar schemes. So 
I think that's going to be a team that's going to be well prepared. Uh, they're going to be pumped up playing at home. And I think it, it could start off slow. It could be a tighter game than people expect. You know, I think the Packers will pull away in the end due to the fact that, you know, I just don't think the 49ers have the horses. But I, I don't think that this is going to be an easy cakewalk game at all. And I don't think the Packers can afford to overlook this team. I think it's going to come down to their to the Packers' offense, honestly. Do they get David Bakhtiari back? Do they get Aaron Jones back, maybe? Alan Lazard posted on his Instagram story a picture of him on the plane. Does that mean he's back? It's going to come down to, can the Packers' offense punch the 49ers' defense in the mouth early? If they can do that, they're going to run away with this game. If we see a performance like the Packers' offense had in the second half, up until the very last few drives of the game, um, talking about the Vikings game, it, it could be close, and it could be another trap game. No, I actually good. wanted... Oh, no, go ahead, Zach. No, go, no, go for it. Uh, I was going to ask you, um, since Riley brought up Alan Lazard, uh, just what kind of difference you think that he could make in the offense, you know, because he's been out the last few games, and we've seen, you know, without a legitimate number two next to Devontae Adams, the offense, you know, they, they played great in Houston, obviously, but, you know, there, there were times uh, against Minnesota that it just seemed like they, they didn't have anyone to take the top of the defense off. They, you know, no big plays down the field. Everything seemed kind of short or, you know, Rodgers defaults to staring down Devontae Adams. So do you think that having Lazard back is a, will be a significant thing and, you know, maybe – a little bit less MVS, a little bit less Shepard and Malik Taylor. Yeah, because when you get him back, that's one that's one more body you get to put on the perimeter. You put Alan Lazard on the perimeter and you get MVS on the other perimeter, you got more incentive now to cycle Devontae Adam around, move him around, get him in the slot. You know, all that pre-snap motion that puts Devontae Adams in those one-on-one matchups, those favorable matchups where he does maybe get force fed those targets a little bit, but they're they're easy targets. That's the difference he makes. You know, it's just it's another good receiver that Aaron Rodgers trusts, and that makes all the difference. Now, whoever that third receiver is, whether it's MVS or Malik Taylor, which I do want to say, out of everybody they have right now, but uh, outside of Devontae Adams, not including Lazar, since he's not even on the roster yet right now. MVS is still the most talented guy they have. Not even from a pure speed standpoint, but his routes, his routes have improved by the year. He's just he can't catch the freaking ball. That's his biggest problem. We'd have we'd be having a little bit of a different conversation right now if if he caught that touchdown uh, against Minnesota this past weekend. Uh, it ended up getting flagged as DPI because the, the the defender dragged him down and it. They put the Packers at the one yard line, and then Devontae Adams caught the touchdown on like on like the next play. Right. But um, his routes have gotten so much better. Everything else has gotten so much better. It's just he can't catch the ball. It's it's confidence every single week that's his biggest problem, and it's just it fluctuates so much. It's 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 his biggest issue. But whether that other receiver on the boundary is going to be MBS or whoever else, um, honestly, I lost my train of thought. See, I, I, I branched, I branched <laughs> off on like a, on like a fucking tangent. I just forgot what I was talking about. But regardless, happens, man. yeah, you know, I'm human. Regardless, I actually, no, sorry, finish your thought. Uh, no, 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 by, no, by all means, go ahead. Um, 
you know, just you were talking about MVS and and how he's still, you know, the most talented guy they have outside of those, you know, those top two of Adams and Lazard. And, you know, I'm someone that has been a longtime fan of Equinemia St. Brown. And I know that you yourself have been someone, you know, before the season and, and during the season, before he came back from injury, you, you know, we're talking about how he could potentially be a, a significant addition for the Packers offense. And, you know, I think his performance on Sunday was disappointing. You know, obviously he had the two, well, the one big drop to convert on third down. And then he had the, you know, touchdown, which would have been a difficult play, but one that, you know, he probably should have made. Um, and I think Packers fans and Packers Twitter, especially was quick to jump down his throat and, you know, say, this guy sucks, cut this guy. He's no good. He's not going to help. And I think that was a little bit premature of a, you know, of a decision by the fan base. I think, you know, it's frustrating to see a guy not make those plays. And we've seen that with MVS a lot, but I think Equinemius St. Brown is still a guy, you know, he's, he's working his way back from, you know, a few years of injuries. And, and that was his first game really since 2018. So I think a few more weeks in the offense, if he gets those reps and he gets those opportunities, I think that he's a guy who can still contribute down the stretch. No, yeah, you, you, you're right. I mean, Everything was kind of a knee-jerk reaction, just just based off of where the Packers were in that game. And I mean, they were they were down. That was like pretty much their last shot to really comfortably kind of sneak their way back in. And I'm still I'm still a believer that if it was if this was two years ago and it was it was EQ's rookie year, he would have caught that third down play, you know, because that's that's the type of catch that he would have made at the time. That 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 just that that secure kind of body catch, you know, he would have made that coming down to the ground and. That end zone throw on fourth down, that was a little bit of a tough catch, and I think people are kind of like overlooking that. But still, it was one that hit him in the hands, and he should have caught it regardless. But still, I think, you know, it was was his third game back. He's only seen two targets, and, you know, he saw one target against the Buccaneers, I think, uh, and it was a misfire from Rodgers. They weren't on the same page. Same thing against the the Texans. He saw one target in that game, and he finally had his first – I think it was – I think he had one one catch uh, against the Vikings, but – Either way, he's still slowly getting acclimated into the offense, still kind of getting his sea legs back under him. And I still think eventually he could still be a difference maker at some point. You know, he's just got to just got to get a little more comfortable. You know, like you said, he's still kind of working his way back from the injury. He hasn't played since December 2018. He's, you know, he's still working his way back. Riley, what do you think? Do you think EQ can still potentially be a contributor down the stretch? Yeah, Riley Teller. Maybe. Maybe. I I don't know. Like, <laughs> he looked good his rookie year. I think the, the biggest play he's made in a Packers uniform was when he was ejected for destroying Tony Lippett on, like, a interception return or something um, against the Dolphins. But, really? that, like, neither, like, let's be honest. Neither, neither one of his catches against the 49ers in 2018 on Monday Night Football, neither one of those? I was just thinking that. I was, like, 12 at the time, man. I had bedtime. <laughs> the, don't get two on. years ago. Listen, two years ago, man. Listen, I, I, I honestly cannot remember that game, uh, but it, it's been it's a tough road for players to come back, and I think at this point it it could his career's hanging in the balance. I will say this: he could just as easily be the Packers wide receiver three going forward because I think maybe he has the tools to be better than MVS. But he could just as easily be washing dishes at a Texas roadhouse. 
<laughs> now, why, why why would you say something like that? Uh, hey, man, I, I that's like just, Texas Roadhouse. It's a good. It's a good. Are you sure? Yeah. That's that's you obviously know, it's a solid restaurant. Listen, if, very if we're gonna go, if we're gonna go down this road. There's a couple of things I want to say actually to what Riley just said. First, uh, the part that you said about you know how you can't remember what happened, even though that game was like two years ago. That that's funny to me because you know the boys over at Cheesehead TV seem to think that you know real fans know every single history and every fact about the Packers. So you know you should get you know get yourself up on that, Riley. Hey man, I don't live in Brown County. I'm not a real Packers fan. <laughs> it's just the way Absolutely. it is, you know. No man, the only the only Brown County is everywhere. <laughs> and you know uh steel actually the yeah, this whatever. podcast is called packers unfiltered for a reason so it's know, unscripted that, eh, we, uh, no, no, we can go it's either way actually, yeah you know we're, we're still deciding we'll figure it out oh, but um make me sick <laughs> <laughs> we wanted to you know before we let you go i know you you're a busy man but we wanted to ask you a little bit about the, the infamous Parker Mose and you know, the incident <laughs> a few years ago when uh, this, you know, this kid, for those of you who aren't familiar, Parker is quote unquote, the Packers number one fan. And, you know, he puts out articles, you know, every few weeks or so. And who's he writing more, for now? I couldn't tell you, man. Honestly, it jumps around. I couldn't tell you, but you know, if people want to, you know, put, time and you know and they enjoy doing that and they enjoy writing about the team and putting their thoughts out there you know more power to them but uh you know the reason that that he specifically you know really upsets me as a fan is uh you know he claimed to he claimed that zach you know basically copied and stole a story from him which you know zach i'll let you expand on that but it really drove me nuts because, you know, being your friend and someone that's known you for a while and I know how much work you put into your craft and how much dedication you have and, you know, the kind of work ethic you have. So hearing him accuse you of that when you put out, you know, 10 articles in the times that he puts out one, it, it just, it really bugs me. No, and I appreciate that. Um... Kiss already? Don't fucking tense this, dude. Um... <laughs> what? <laughs> Wait. So, yeah, basically, you know, I was I was cool with I was cool with Parker at the very beginning. All right, I liked him. Seemed like a cool dude. Interact on Twitter every now and then. He would send me his his articles. I would give him feedback. He would he would reach out to me asking for for feedback, and I would give him feedback. Like he would he would genuinely ask me just for like advice, you know. And I would I, I would do it. Um, the same thing I've done with so many other writers, so many other people, because that's what I do. I know it's a competitive industry and everything, but there's no reason that I'm going to turn down offering my input when someone asks for it, because that's just, that's such a shitty thing to do. Um, then at one point, things kind of went south. I don't remember what the actual catalyst behind that happening was, but I just know I got so sick of him because he would spam me. He would spam me to no end, and he would just, he just wouldn't leave me alone. Um, yeah, and and at one point, we both wrote an article on the same day on Randall Cobb. He accused me 
of stealing that article for him, even though it was three times as long as his. Like it was fucking it was three <laughs> times as long. It wasn't even the same content, like not even close. Like he pretty much <laughs> ripped off something from the internet, it looked like. He looked like he Googled something from like next gen stats or something and just threw it into an article. That's pretty much what it was. Um and he accused me of stealing it from him. Like there, you guys know it. There's like a whole, there's like a whole screenshot message from like Facebook or Twitter or something. I'm not sure, but it said I, it said I used him for a year. I used him for a year. What the hell would I use him for? What the hell does Parker Mose have that I could possibly want that would discount the Texas Roadhouse? Aside from that, but I don't even work there at the time, so I don't know. Like what the what the hell would I gain from that from that relationship there? Um, uh, shit, where did it where did it go from there? So no, anyway, you're, you're on a rant, man. Continue. I I put that on the timeline and I I, I exposed him because that's that's the thing. Like you alluded it to you alluded to it, Ryan. I put so much goddamn work into this shit. You're not gonna come to me. And tell me that I that I ripped you off. If if I was gonna rip someone's work off, like if I was gonna plagiarize, which I would never do, I have way too much self respect and way too much integrity and respect for 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 this for this whole business to ever do something like that. If I was ever gonna do that, he would be the absolute last person on. He would be below the list. Like he wouldn't even make the, the list. Of people that I would steal from, like he would, he would not even be on the list. He would be on like the back of the list, like just his name. That's it. So, anyways, I, I screenshotted every, all that bullshit and I put it on the timeline. Pretty much exposed him. And ever since then, ever since like mid twenty eighteen, he's just had it out for me. And um, we've had our clashes since then. And I, I actually think he's slightly deranged. Um, what's it called? He stalks my profile. Um, yep. yeah, he, he, always, he always shows up on my mentions, like liking, it says like, you know, when it says like, um, you liked or someone liked one of your retweets or something like that. I still yeah, hate that yeah. feature. Yeah, I do too. It's like, it's really annoying. Um, but anyways, yeah, he, he, he that happens sometimes. Um, and also, oh yeah. Remember, uh, this past September when the 53 man roster came out and I made my own little Google docs thing to like keep track of it, the offense and the defense, you know, who, who kept and who, who they kept and who, who, who left pretty much who was still on the roster. He, well, I posted that on Twitter. He took that screenshot, saved it to his phone because he was stalking my profile. He took it straight from my profile and tweeted it in a conversation to somebody and said, Oh, this is an official press release from the team. Like an idiot. Uh, I do remember that, yeah. That, yeah, yeah. I still have screenshots of it if you guys want to see it after this after this is done. But yeah, he took a screenshot from a Google Docs and called it an official press release from the team. Like he stole it from my, my actual profile, which is like proof in itself that he he stalks me. It's just it's it's crazy like ex girlfriend shit. He's just he's psycho, I'm telling you. Like, it's not- really it it just comes off as petty and the thing that Another thing about him that, you know, upsets me, and I don't want to make this all about one person, but, you know, it goes for anyone. You know, if Parker's someone where, you know, you look at his feed and he's he's begging people for shout-outs and he's oh, God. screaming and crying for retweets and all that kind of thing. And, you know, I'm someone, 
if you really love your work and you love what you do and you love writing, you know, you should want it to be appreciated and seen based off its merit and the work you put into it and not just because you're begging people, you know, to, to give you that cloud. And, you know, I think that's another reason I always appreciate your work is that, you know, I've never seen you ask anyone for a retweet or ask for likes or anything. You don't ask anyone to read it. You just, you grind, you put in the work late hours and you put out the content and, you know, that's the reason that you've gotten to where you've gotten. I did ask you guys for a retweet like a week ago on that. Yeah, but that doesn't story. count because we're, we're, you know, we're buddies. I would have retweeted it no matter what. Thank you. That's like the only time I've ever, I've ever asked though. But like, yeah, I know I've never, I've never asked for shit like that. Cause you know, to him, to someone like him, his Twitter account is, is his life, you know, like hitting, hitting 10,000 followers. That was like, that's like getting a Nobel peace prize. For him. <laughs> like that's, that's it you know he could die happy at that point but yeah no you're right he's he's on there asking for retweets follows this and that and being a total creep under other under girls pro or, or, or pictures and sending <laughs> is the lonely tweeting movie. the lonely tweeting development the best thing of 2020 or what <laughs> no, no he's, he's been doing this for years like you know the the, the cake screenshot <laughs> <laughs> Like yeah, <laughs> this has been Dwight happening. Howard. <laughs> like, he, he is constantly down so bad that he is just harassing these chicks online with with emojis. Like oh my god, I just hashtag Drizzy, hashtag that man. <laughs> yeah, and and his old fun. his old N word tweets. I'm not even gonna get into that. That's a whole other thing. I was gonna say if if you guys we won't get into it here, but if you guys want to have some fun, you can go up. Look up him on Twitter and, and you know, search him with the N-word and, and you'll find some interesting and honestly disturbing things. But, um, you know, if you guys haven't figured it out by now, part of the show is, is going to be discussing, you know, the, the politics of Packers Twitter and, you know, some of the drama that goes on because, you know, we are unfiltered and, you know, it, it's fun to talk about the, the different factions of Packers Twitter and how people handle themselves on there. Let's be honest. We're all on Twitter a lot. Probably a little too much. Tweeting, yeah. yeah. So one more thing I wanted to ask, Zach. Um, what's the future? Like, I know 2020, you weren't going to any of the games. 2021, I think they play the NFC West. So that's two games maybe where you see, you know, LA, you see San Francisco. Arizona's not even that, that far away. Well, the reality is, I mean, even if they're not on the West Coast or anywhere like that i mean i can i could just get on a plane and, and, and just go you know as long as as long as they have the you know the credentials i'm still working for pack report which you know i'm still very grateful to be with um even if they're playing in new york if i feel like taking a trip to new york just for the hell of it i can do that it's just it's so much it's easier when they're on the west coast right you know for me like if they come and play like you know in la or something or they come play the rams you know i could just I can take a drive or if they come to Santa Clara again, I could just take like a, like a hour plane flight, you know? For sure. Yeah. It was just way more convenient. And, yeah. you know, Zach, I know uh, you've talked about, you know, going into this season, you, you talked about how you, you know, you probably would have been at Lambeau field if it, it hadn't been for the pandemic. And, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm, I've been to Lambeau field a few times myself and I'm, you know, I'm excited for you to get the opportunity to go there. It's so, you know, one of a kind type of place. And, you know, uh, I think you'll have a lot to add to the Packers coverage when you're, 
when you get a chance to go there. Um, we don't, if Riley doesn't have any more thoughts, we don't want to take up too much of your time. Um, so before we let you go, I want you to go ahead and plug yourself. Where can people find you? Where can they find your work? Well, first of all, thank, thank you. Um, <laughs> I remember the, <laughs> for anybody who doesn't know, I, Ryan was the first person I called when I got, when I got to Santa Clara and I was at Levi stadium and I, I walked by Mark Murphy and I was like, I called him. I was like, Holy shit. I just walked by Mark Murphy. And I had, I had to tell somebody, and you know, it was really authentic in that moment. And I'm, just, I'm looking forward to more, more moments like that. Um, me too, man. Call me the um, first time you see Dean Lowry. I definitely, I definitely won't call you. Um, wow. I know, you know, you've said multiple times you want to fight Dean Lowry and I just want you to know I, he, he will beat the hell out of you. I don't know. I do know. All right, he's gonna beat out. He's gonna beat the hell out of you. Okay, Riley, just give it a rest. Keep keep talking. It's fine. Uh, you can find me at uh, packerreport.com. Uh, I do all my writing work there, and I do a live show every week for Game on Wisconsin called Open Book uh, with Eli Berkovitz, and I do a podcast also uh, every Wednesday night called The Illusion of Complexity with Jacob Westendorf and Aaron Ellis. Awesome. And then if I'm not mistaken, your Twitter, I'll be at your, you know, 14th account. Like myself. <laughs> That's it's, not funny, uh, man. Come on. <laughs> it's James Davidson. Hey, relax, man. Okay. We're in the same boat here. James Davidson. <laughs> yeah, yeah. As Brian was saying before I, I cut him off, my Twitter is uh, it's Zachari- at it's Zachariah J. And I do want to add one more thing about the whole Parker thing. I wouldn't, I wouldn't treat anybody else this way or, or, or comment anybody else like this, especially someone who's, you know, trying to break into the industry, apparently, even though he doesn't treat it seriously at all. And he's on the he's on the timeline cussing and saying disgusting shit during Packer games and everything, and he's acting like a total freak. I wouldn't treat anybody else this way unless they came for me first and came for my work and and just completely disrespected me and everything everything that I've done for myself and everything that I've built for myself. So I just want yes. I just want to I don't want to put I want to put that out there. I don't want to I don't want to come off as like a bully or something like that or like I'm just picking on this kid. But No, absolutely. And I mean, we know firsthand, you know, Riley me, we know that you you know, you spend time and you you tried to help him and you, you know, you yeah, would read his things that he it. sent you. Yeah. You guys saw it firsthand. It's just that you know, I don't have any tolerance for it either when you know, like you're a good friend of mine and he tries to attack, you know, the integrity of your work and, you know, that doesn't sit right with me. So, yeah. And and that's the thing is it's not like Parker, you know, he, he was, he didn't just go, Hey, I don't like Zach. It wasn't that he tried to go after what Zach does, you know, accusing someone of plagiarism in a field like journalism. It's a death sentence. If you know, and so it's not that he just was like, oh, Zach's a dick. No, he didn't do that. He tried to fuck up Zach's life. Yeah. That's and why we sit here and we shit on him and we don't feel bad. Yeah, you don't associate me with that with that shit, you know, because I'm not, I'm not going to just lay down and take that. Uh, well, we're running up on about an hour now and, uh, you know, we've taken enough of your time, Zach, but definitely we really appreciate you joining us for our first episode man um it was good talking packers with you good talking parker with you you know among other things so uh you know we'll look forward to having you on again soon
Yeah, for sure, man. I'll talk to you guys later. Thanks for having me. Thank you.